Well, hello everyone. Welcome into the Buffalo Beat, our final pre-combine edition of the 2020 offseason. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me as always, my co-host Matthew Fairburn. And we are coming to you on the Athletic Podcast Network or any one of the free avenues that uh, you listen to us. Thank you so much for doing so. And if you are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play or or Stitcher, whatever whatever way you listen to us, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe if you wouldn't mind. So yes, the NFL Combine is here, um, and we teased it a little bit last week about uh, about the player that maybe would be kind of a, a perfect fit for a specific role, and that was a piece that Matthew Fairburn released this past week, uh, Kyle Duggar of... Lenore Ryan is uh was was the player in that. So if you haven't checked that out, please be sure to do so. And he's just one of a number of players that will be kind of a, a talking point this week as far as the Bills are concerned. So I think one of the more interesting parts is we get to kind of set the the entire table for the week because the first full day that we're there in Indianapolis is the day that both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott will speak with the media and that is obviously the closest time to when they will have to start making decisions. So I guess what where I'll want to kick it off here is what uh, what are you looking forward to most from in hearing about from from Brandon Bean, Matthew, and um, what we're trying to figure out as far as uh, free agency, re-signing, everything along those lines. I think the we've touched on this a bit, but I think you know the how the CBA impacts what's going to happen with them in the next few weeks is is pretty interesting. And, you know, the owners approved uh, a proposed uh, CBA yesterday and, you know, it's going to go to a vote for the players today. I'd be almost, I'd be somewhat surprised if it was that quick and clean. Uh, It seems like these things usually get messier than that. Um, But if it's approved, in short order, um, you know, the owners put sort of a, a veiled threat slash deadline in, in the proposal saying that, you know, it has to get done by next week. Otherwise, uh, they'll be operating, you know, under the current CBA. But that 30% rule that we talked about flies out the window if a new CBA is, is locked in before, um, you know, that would go into effect. So, I think the bills are kind of in limbo right now in terms of what to do with some of these extensions that they have. And uh, I think agents and and players are probably in the same boat in terms of, you know, is there going to be a 17th game? How is that going to impact contracts? Uh, All these different things. uh, The the revenue might be going up. The share of the revenue might be going up. So contracts, there's a lot, you know, up in the air in terms of contracts. And I'm curious how, uh, you know, Brandon Bean, who's pretty savvy in regards to the rules and the CBA and the salary cap, how he's juggling all that while trying to plan out what the offseason looks like, trying to figure out, um, you know, the long term salary cap of this team and the long term roster construction of this team. So it's an interesting dynamic that's been thrown in here all of a sudden as the owners have put a little bit of pressure on the players in the last couple of days. Yeah, and if it's any indication as to what maybe the players are thinking, J.J. Watt tweeted, yeah, that'll be a hard no on that proposed uh, CBA. (laughs) And I think it got, 
I think 30,000 likes or something along those lines. Yeah, I don't, I don't like, there's definitely going to be that aspect. A few, a few players have tweeted out already, you know, oh, this is a hard pass or whatever, but I don't know that JJ Watt needs to be speaking for everybody. JJ Watt's needs are different than the 53rd guy on the roster, you know? And I know there's some, I'm not saying the CBA proposal is perfect or that they should just accept it blindly, but I don't know that, I'm going to take J.J. Watt's uh, opinion as the gospel on it either because there's a lot of people's needs that have to be considered, uh, not just the superstar players who really, um, you know, have a completely different uh, set of, you know, they live in a different world than a lot of other players in the NFL. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's going to be interesting. Like I said, the reason I would be surprised really has nothing to do with um, intel on on my part at the moment, uh, and more so has to do with it would be way too clean. Uh, these things yeah. usually get a little bit messy, and um, you know JJ Watt's opinion, and I think Richard Sherman tweeted something uh, as well. I mean, those give you a hint that not everybody's going to accept this uh, initial proposal, but maybe who knows? Maybe it gets done quicker than it has. Um, you know in in you know other negotiations and other sports and most recently in the NFL the last time they went through this so I don't know it'll be a it'll be interesting to follow because obviously next week everybody's going to be in one place and you know they're it's going to be it has a huge impact on what's going to happen in terms of teams resigning players franchise tags you know more players might hit the market if this CBA went into effect because um teams would only have one tag. And so uh, there's a lot that could kind of, um, a lot of dominoes that will fall if they do agree to this new CBA. Yeah, last time around, it was it got pretty ugly and it actually went into a work stoppage and it was very unique. I mean, I was still pretty young as a reporter um, and I think it was either my first or second year full-time on the beat. And when... When that all thi- that whole thing came down, I remember the the Bills players getting together and working out at um, Salem Field and uh, or, or you know the the little field house that they have down in Elma um, just to get some stuff together so that way they're on the same page when they got back from the work stoppage and it, it was just it was a very different sort of feel but the added dynamic of extending your own players because there is a a huge, huge push from the NFL perspective to have that 17th game and what it would mean for all the contracts. And one of the most interesting little parts of that was something that uh, Tom Pelissero from NFL.com tweeted out was that, you know, all the all the contracts um, that aren't signed after the new CBA um, goes into effect or CBA was agreed upon, and and when the seventeenth game actually begins, uh, then the I, I guess the um, the salary, the weekly salary for these players will get capped at something like two hundred fifty thousand a game. Um, but that is a little deceiving, just because it uh, it you know a lot of those contracts would wind up being signed by the time the seventeen game season finally goes into effect but still it, you would have some of these bigger market players like the JJ Watt that we just talked about potentially having to 
take a pay cut <laughs> for this for that 17th game and I don't think a, a lot of people are going to be down with that so that's that's another element to this and you know but the whole extending your own players I mean you have to wait for wait to see just basically who or how how many games there are going to be in the new CBA and if the NFL actually gets their way into getting that 17 how many players will be on the active roster and what the salary cap will be and trying to figure out exactly what your share is of that in the confines of the salary cap and then the revenue sharing and or the how much of the percentage it goes up for the players uh, i think that all plays into as question marks for these extensions and if i were tredavious white and his agent i would say let's just see how it plays out because he knows what he's getting he knows that they're going to give him the fifth year option and there's really not a rush for him to to get that thing signed on the dotted line especially if there's more dollars available to him a year from now so uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's going to definitely impact things, but I also don't think the Bills can operate just as though that those things aren't going to happen. They need to keep all of these things in mind, keep that ample space on their salary cap for this season there, just in the event in the event that Trey White, Matt Milano, and Deion Dawkins will all want to sign on the dotted line for the long term because that is important to how they're trying to build this thing. And setting that tone with those players is is of the utmost importance to them this offseason. So it is so complex, but yeah, that's that's a great way to to start off because I mean that how much money they have to hold for those guys completely impacts what they do in free agency and what they do in free agency obviously impacts what they do in the draft because the draft comes after free agency. So yes, there are so many different things and it might influence a potential decision on guys like Jordan Phillips and Jack Lawson. There the trickle down effect on from the CBA is humongous. Yeah, and and there's you know all of the the things that we talked about in terms of the 17th game, the, you know, the playoff formats, another one, uh, you know, these random, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces in the new CBA, but really the, the one that impacts the bills the most is, you know, that 30% rule. And then like you mentioned the revenue and where it all, what it's going to do to player salaries in general. And if you're Tredavious white, you don't necessarily want to be the one to set the mark set the market right now. You want to set the market at some point, but maybe you don't want to do it right now when a year from now it could be a an even bigger deal. It most likely will. There's a few cornerbacks that need contracts. Jalen Ramsey uh, is one of them, and you know it's going to be kind of a, a you know a little bit of a a cat and mouse game in terms of who's going to do it first. If you're the Bills, you'd like to be the first team to get in the door, lock up Tredavious White at a, a reasonable deal and, um, you know, move on and, you know, get a good value. But if you're Tredavious White, it's not necessarily in your, your self-interest to do that. And under the new CBA, this isn't too big of a, a deal for the Bills, but the fifth-year option becomes fully guaranteed, not just for injury. Uh, I think they'd be picking that up on Tredavious White no matter what, and I don't think they're necessarily concerned about it being fully guaranteed unless you think he's going to you know, take a complete nosedive in year four. But you know that 
how it impacts all the extensions is going to be interesting. You would think that, you know, that, you know, deadline the owners put in is in part, you know, to put pressure on the players, but also there is some level of, you know, needing to know what rules you're operating under before you go into free agency. And uh, there is um, a natural deadline there, whether it's next week or the following week where, you know, things kind of have to be in place so you know what you're doing uh, and know how you're operating. But uh, it's not necessarily going to dramatically change what the bills do or change their fate or the the course uh, that they're heading on. It's more so something they need to be aware of and something they need to be ready to act on depending on what happens and what CBA they are operating under. And it makes for a more eventful NFL combine than usual, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, just having that added element is um, intriguing to say the least. And I think one of the, the uh, trickle-down avenues that that we could start at is just with re-signing their own because if they're if they still have to act as though maybe these guys resign then they got they have to be a little bit careful with how much they're they're doling out to a lot of these guys and I think the one place I wanted to start with I think uh, one of the the more important decisions of the offseason is what they're doing with Jordan Phillips whether it be Resigning him, not resigning him, and letting him walk, which I am in the camp of. Uh, I think they should do that. Uh, or, as Jason Lockonfora, I guess, suggested, them giving him the franchise tag, which I I would wholeheartedly disagree with that situation. And just just to kind of throw this out there, uh, with he, I don't think he was outright reporting it. Um, he just suggested that there was a belief in the NFL that the Bills might do it. And I think that it kind of got blown up a little bit from what, uh, what we, what maybe was put out there on social media, the way exact way he worded it was teams figure Matt Judon, Shaquille Barrett, Jordan Phillips, Yannick Ngakwe get tagged for sure. Teams figure blank gets tagged for sure. That was not sourced from the Bills or anything along those lines. So that's just speculation from other teams on a player like that when, in reality, I don't think that makes a lick of sense at all. Do you? No. I mean, look, people say they have the cap space to do it. It's only a one-year thing, and you can, you know— See if you get similar production and they don't really have the cap space though. (laughs) Well, and conceivably they they, do and they don't. They do this year. You could make it work, but I don't don't think you just spend money to spend it. You know, even if it's a one year commitment and it's a, you know, no, you know, no risk beyond 2020. The, the thing to me is, you know, why spend what $15 million the franchise tag would be? Yeah. If you can spend 15 million somewhere else, you know, I, I, you don't really need Jordan Phillips and he, you know, I I don't know. I just, I I think that's the, not when Ed Oliver is playing as well as he was at the end of last year. That's the piece of it that people are missing is that you don't need to have Jordan Phillips. It's not that big of a deal. If he's not on the roster, you can find a guy 
you're not going to have a guy get nine and a half sacks, but Jordan Phillips probably wouldn't get nine and a half sacks next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Oliver might, you know, uh, he might match that production, but I don't know that Jordan Phillips is matching it. So are you going to pay $15 million for, you know, count it as a win that you got that type of production on a, a pretty reasonable deal and you found some value. Now go find more value somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, go find another guy that that has something to prove. The fact that yes, they could get away with fifteen million dollars this year, and you know, you know, kind of see what see what they get. Um, you know, yeah, I guess. But what you should be asking is, is this guy worth fifteen million dollars? Right. Uh, you know, don't say, well, they have fifteen million dollars to spend, so just keep them. Eh, well. If you want to keep him that badly, find a contract that you can get out of after a year where his cap hit won't be $15 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there there's so many better ways to spend $15 million. And that's it flies in the face of everything this regime has been about in terms of spending money and allocating resources to just spend $15 million for the sake of it. That's the type of stuff that gets you... Um, into trouble, even if it's only a one-year thing, that way of thinking, I feel like gets you into trouble long-term. I, I'm, I'm not in the camp that thinks he will or should get franchise yeah. tagged, and I don't really even. The only way I see him getting brought back, and I do kind of think this is a possibility, is if his market isn't as strong as he thinks it will be, because I don't think it's going to be. Uh, it's no, possible that either. some team that needs to spend to get to that three-year floor. Uh, sees the production and and wants to make a run at him. It's not that he's not a talented player. Uh, I think he does have some ability. It's not that he's not a good guy to have in the locker room. I think he was terrific for their locker room last year. It's just that you drafted a guy in the top 10 to be better than him. I think by the end of the year, Ed Oliver was, was. better than him. And he was better than him all year. Forget and, the and sacks. So, he was better than him all season. Yeah, the 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 sacks are deceiving uh, when it comes to to Jordan Phillips. Not that he had a bad year. Um, you know, he probably you know, in terms of his pressure rate, was you know he was average, a little above average this year. But the getting you know drawn in by the the nine and a half sacks, I, I just think it's a mistake. I don't. I, I don't I think you. There's so many better ways to spend money is what it comes down to. <laughs> and uh, then for a guy who is just a rotational player on your defensive line. Uh, 100%. That, you know, in an ideal world is playing, what, 40% of your snaps? You know, Harrison Probably Phillips less is gonna than that. Be, Harrison Phillips is going to be back next year, so you don't need him, you know, as your backup nose, um, which is kind of what kind of how his snap count got so high at times last year as he was – a fill in on both spots, but yeah, I just don't, I don't see a scenario where it makes sense unless he's back on a pretty cheap deal. And if he is, you know, is he going to be thrilled with that? I I think sometimes the market, the perceived market for players gets inflated. And, you know, I I think about, you know, like Zach Brown a few years ago, remember when Mm -hmm. he was supposed to hit the market and get a big deal because he had a career year, he hit the market. Nobody really wanted him. You know, Signed in had, Washington for pretty low, yeah, right? For pretty low money, um, not no long term security with the deal. Not that he 
bottomed out as a player. He just, the market wasn't there. And is the market going to be there for Jordan Phillips? I don't know. I'm not convinced. It's of it. so weird because for every Zach Brown, there's a John Miller who gets paid five and a half million by the Bengals over three years. <laughs> sure. That, and that could be, it's crazy. You know, that could be a realistic, uh, Jordan Phillips, if that's his goal, but I feel like it probably isn't. You know, I feel yeah, like right, right. Uh, I think that's more what I what I'm referring to, I guess, in terms of there being no market, is that he'll hit the market and end up signing for yeah. you know six or six million a year or something. And not that it would be you know crippling for the Bills to bring him back at that number. I just don't I don't see it as a priority. I don't see their interests aligning on this. And right, exactly. And you know, there's no reason to force those interests to align when there's a lot of ways they could address that position and not really notice a massive drop off. And then you could take 15 million and spend it on two guys who could start, you know, or how about a, a Deion Dawkins extension? Right. Yeah. A, a Deion Dawkins or Matt <laughs> Milano simple. extension or, a you know, any number of things that you yep, could spend exactly. that money on. If they put the franchise tag on him, I think that would be, I think that would be pretty foolish. Put, yeah, it on, I, put it on Shaq Lawson, if anybody, uh, the transition tag. If you can only use one tag, um, you know, at least there, I don't know. I just, I, I think $15 million for Jordan Phillips is a little, little much. I do as well. And I think if they were to do that, that would be more like a move of past GMs that have been here, that have gotten themselves into salary cap trouble and is just one of the very short-sighted decisions that those regimes would have made when Brandon Bean has been playing the long game all along and giving that much of his salary cap room to a rotational player makes little to no logical sense. And if they were to not spend that $15 million, you're also taking away the potential of rolling over that unspent cap number to next year when you might have to re-sign, I don't know, Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, Tredavious White if he doesn't re-sign this year. That is another trickle-down effect of this. Because So why would you put yourself in that spot where you can, well, yeah, maybe the level of play of the backup that you wind up bringing in will be less than what you're getting out of Jordan Phillips. It is not worth potentially seven times as much the salary for a 30% snap player, 30 to 35% snap player. Just doesn't make sense in the long game. And having Harrison Phillips there is a great point. Ed Oliver should be getting 70% of snaps, I think at least. He's definitely got the the uh, the wind and certainly the skill set to do it. And then you either draft a three technique or the one the one guy that I threw in there for them as a low cost signing with experience that played at a very high level on a really good defensive line in my mock off season that I just posted over at the athletic is Sheldon Day. And he's not going to command a ton of money, but he's perfect for the three technique role. He played for the Niners and he's he's played the last couple of years on a really good defensive line. And that could be someone that could come in and give him a, a sizable bump and pay. There you go. I mean, if if he's making two and a half to three million dollars a year, guess what? That's not 15 million for for Jordan Phillips. So, yeah, we're, we're aligned here. I would I mean, it, it just would not make sense 
for Brandon Assuming Bean. Assuming a two hundred million dollar salary cap, a fifteen million dollar cap hit is seven and a half percent of your salary cap paid to a rotational three technique coming off an outlier of a season for in terms of production. If you can talk yourself into that, that's great. I doubt that the the Bills are going to do that. They're not, you know, this is a team that's gotten the most out of some undervalued players. They're not, you know, they haven't been successful by overpaying uh, for past production. They haven't been perfect in some of their their contracts. You know, I think Star is probably the the best example. Trent Murphy's contract hasn't provided great return on the the value, but those were, I would say, different cases than this one uh, mm-hmm. in terms of you're not talking about 15 million. Uh, that's a that's way too big of a number. And I think talking yourself into that is um, it proves that there's too much time between the Super Bowl and the combine. <laughs> well, let's let's get to the other side of the combine, which is the prospects themselves, which you know, from for our purposes as reporters that cover the combine, I feel like those players are almost secondary to all the stuff that's going on with with what's about to happen with free agency, re-signing their own because that's that's the undercurrent of the entire combine, but it's also when a lot of this stuff starts to get figured out. And then once once the draft kind of rolls on, I mean, we get the workouts and they meet with all those guys and that that's important too, but it's not as though that it's the the major point of conversation once once that week is done. So, uh, I I guess from a prospect perspective, what are we looking at here? I mean, the the Bills certainly will have plenty of needs that they can go to. I don't think it's necessarily as set in stone for some positions to be picked early on as maybe some do. Um, For instance, wide receiver being one of them. And I guess that's a good jumping off point because the wide receiver spot is one that I think if you ask 10 fans of the Bills, a high percentage of of those people will say, oh yeah, got to take one in the first couple of rounds. But I'm not necessarily sold that that they have to or that they will do it like that they could the option is there because this is a talented group but I think a lot of it depends on how the board plays out and it they absolutely have to consider what is happening uh in terms of who might be available the next time around that that they pick in the order um before they miss out on a potential offensive lineman defensive end uh defensive back that that they could really use that they wouldn't be able to find the next time around, but that that's another conversation. But in terms of wide receivers, who are you most interested in in seeing this week from a Bills perspective? And uh, and and we'll kick it off there. I think the combine is important for wide receivers for a few different reasons, and one of which I brought up in um, a story I did um, at the end of last month after the Senior Bowl about size in the wide receiver position. A lot of times you look at height as an indicator of, you know, that big bodied receiver. People think that the Bills need a big receiver, which to some extent, maybe they do. Uh, It's probably the missing element from their offense, but more so you want a guy that's in 
contested situation is going to be able to win. And the benchmark that it's imperfect, but it's not um, it's not bad is uh, body mass index, um, which is measured by dividing weight in kilograms by height in meters squared. Um, so you want a body mass index of 26 or above historically to find a guy that is going to be productive in the NFL. That's a loose kind of benchmark. And so that makes the weigh-in interesting. It's not to say that these guys can't add weight because they can. The height is probably set in stone at this point for some of these guys, but some of them could add some weight. A lot of guys are mostly what they're going to be physically. Um, They can still fill out a little bit, but you're not going to see a drastic change in body composition. So I'm going to be interested to see which guys hit that threshold. It might not Mm -hmm. be all of the tall guys. You know, you don't really want probably the worst combination is, you know, well, I guess short and skinny is the worst combination, but tall and skinny isn't much better. You know, um, that's not a guy that's going to be able to win in in contested spots. And um, is that a direct attack? Uh, it might be. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a reason Joe B's on this side of the mic, you know? Uh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> he's not winning in, in contested situations just because of yeah. that, that gangly height. But um, so, you know, which one of these guys that's on the shorter end is going to work his way into the conversation because of how, you know, because of how he's built? Um, I, I like the kid from TCU, uh, Jalen Rager. Yeah. Um, he's fun to I, watch. Not super productive in college, but had really bad quarterback problems. Um, And, you know, that could be, you know, something to keep an eye on is how he tests. I know Henry Ruggs is a favorite of people. Uh, Didn't have a ton of production in college either, but that's because he was on a loaded offense. Uh, Our friend Mike Rodak has sent up some some warning flags uh, on Ruggs in terms of a lot of people view him as this like can't miss wide receiver one. You know he's picked up a lot of buzz. Um, we'll have to talk to to Michael next week when we see him in Indianapolis about about rugs after he covered him for a year. But he's going to be one to watch this week because he is expected to run really really fast. And uh, I think the over under in Vegas on his forty is like four point three. So uh, that's, that's or it might ridiculous. be it might be in the high four it might be in the high four twos actually. Um, depending on where you look, which tells you something. Some people think he can run under four two. Uh, that doesn't typically happen um, in these uh, in these different. You know, everybody gets excited about the forty, and then you know guys run on the track. They haven't been sleeping well. I feel like typically you err on the side of the over in those situations, but that's just me. So Ruggs is going to be interesting to watch. I think Judy and Ceedee Lamb are probably out of reach. For the Bills, but you never know. Um, those are two guys we didn't get to see at the Senior Bowl, so they'll be, um, you know, fun to talk to and kind of get a look at. And really, though, the the range of receiver that you're talking about with with the Bills is after that. You know, Rager yeah. is one I mentioned. Uh, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, uh, T. Higgins maybe, Lavisca Chenault from Colorado. Uh, that's more the range that the bills are probably playing. And if they're, you know, using the first round, um, you know, or, or second round for some of those guys, but I think they're probably going to be, you know, out of reach on the top couple of guys, which 
You know, I, I saw you mentioned Antonio Gandy-Golden in your uh, off-season mock piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an interesting name. Uh, Brian Edwards is another one. Yeah, uh, that's who I had the Bills taking with their third-round pick in the in the mock offseason. He, I, for me, I, I look at Edwards as a perfect fit for Josh Allen because of how he wins with his footwork and in the intermediate area. Uh, which is essentially where Josh Allen does his most damage, or at least where he did in his second season. And to try and, I guess, perpetuate all the all the success, you want to get someone that best complements his skill set. And I think Edwards, with his body frame, with how he wins and how, how he can separate for a bigger player, how he wins against press coverage, I think all of those things are just like tick, 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 every single box. Um, and I, I, I love the fit of him with Allen going forward, but, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of Brian Edwards. If he's there in the third round, in fact, if things went the way they did in that mock draft that you did, that would be basically an ideal scenario. I think for the bills, offensive mm-hmm. tackle, top tier offensive tackle prospect in round one, Kyle Duggar in round two and Brian Edwards in round three, that's not too That's a shabby. great draft and, class. And the in the Bills or in the athletic mock draft with um beat writers, I gave them Kyle Duggar in the first round because all the offensive tackles were gone. Uh mm. the top receivers were gone. And I do think there's a chance that Duggar works his way into the first round. So it could be a scenario where the Bills sitting at twenty two and there were trades in this mock draft, but they were tricky to pull off because <laughs> of deadlines and you know, other teams not necessarily. And everyone wanted wanting. too much. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I think it could be a scenario where the Bills say, All right, twenty two, maybe that's not exactly where they pull the trigger on a Kyle Duggar. Maybe you move back and try to get a guy like that. But who knows? He's another one I'm fascinated to watch this week because yeah. he ran a four four one last spring, untrained. And now, you know, he's been going through combine training like all these guys do. If he runs in the four threes and weighs in at 225 or better, yikes. Like, that's a different human being uh, that Mm -hmm. could make a lot of noise. That that could put him right in that first-round conversation. So, uh, you know, but I do think offensive tackle and defensive back become – really interesting positions to watch for the bills in the first round because of how the wide receiver position is so deep. If you can get Brian Edwards in round three, which isn't a guarantee, but if that's, if that's a realistic scenario, if you feel pretty good about getting a Brian Edwards or a Michael Pittman in round three, and why don't you go elsewhere in the first couple of rounds? That was my thinking. Exactly. Yeah. You're not getting, you're not getting one of those offense. If you miss out on that top tier of offensive tackle, which is a, a hefty top tier, then you're not getting one. in in round three, if you miss out on Kyle Duggar or, well, there's really not many Kyle Duggars in this draft. Uh, He's kind of a unique player, but if you miss out on a top tier defensive back, in round one this class isn't super deep there and so you're probably not getting one in round three so it's about playing the value game and it's also about you know the Henry Ruggs talk is interesting to me and you know I get it he's a super exciting player to watch he's really really fast and you know who wouldn't want uh you know a speedy receiver on their team that's you know, what fans love about draft season is, you know, those exciting playmakers. He's a damn good route runner too. 
But, he is. Yeah. He's a good player. He, there, he's going to yeah. go in the first round for a reason. Oh, yeah. The The question I have is, is that the the missing piece on the Bills' offense? If he's a bona fide stud, of course, you know, having that type of receiver would be great uh, for the Bills' offense. But John Brown's a pretty good deep threat. Mm-hmm. And Josh Allen, the biggest area of struggle for him last season was throwing the ball deep. So you almost have to draft for your quarterback a little bit. Uh, you don't want to do it to the extent that you're missing out on good players, but you have to consider your quarterback too. And the fact that deep passing was not his strength and it was not because of the guys he was throwing to. Uh, John Brown has historically been a really good deep ball receiver. And so, and Robert Foster was pretty damn good um, his first year in the league uh, at doing that as well. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting talking point, I guess, an interesting conversation, and I'm sure one that will be had in the Bills draft meetings uh, leading up to April about exactly what they're looking for at the position and how to appropriately value it and try to to play that game uh, on draft weekend because it can be a it can be a dangerous game to play too where you say yeah we'll wait till the third round to get Brian exactly. Edwards and then there's a run and you're sitting there in the second round saying uh oh you know yeah this deep receiver class just got pretty thin really quick because you know a bunch of teams took them Mel Kiper said today this week that he thinks like 25 to 30 receivers are going to go in the first two days which. Dane Brugler said was a little bit nuts. Um, you know, said it'd probably be closer to the eighteen to twenty range, but still, that's a lot of receivers that are going to go. I'm curious what the Bills will end up with. I think they'll end up with one, and I don't think people should panic if it's not at twenty-two. They might end up with more than one, but I don't think people should panic if they don't take one off the board at twenty-two. Yeah, I agree with that, um, and that's why. Even if they were to wait past those first couple of rounds and then a run kind of starts happening, it to move up in the third round is so much less cost prohibitive than it would be to to move up in the second round and certainly to move up in the first round to guarantee yourself a Henry Ruggs or a CD Lamb or in the second round guaranteeing yourself like a Jalen Rieger or um, LaVisca Chenault if if he lasts past the first round um, and if they if they looked at Brian Edwards and were like all right that's that's a guy that could really help make Josh Allen better next year or into the future projecting with how his skill set could match up with what Josh Allen does best on the football field then I would have no reason to believe that they wouldn't feel like oh yeah let's let's use um, some of these additional fifths and sixths to find our way into uh, into an earlier pick in the third round and and make sure they get their guy Uh, so that's that's another way to kind of go about it if they don't go wide receiver in the first couple of rounds, but a lot of it is board specific. So the reason why I, I had them passing on a on a wide receiver in that mock off season that we're talking about in the second round was because Duggar was there, and Duggar provides something completely unique that they wouldn't be able to find in the third round. And I'm I'm sure that was a lot of your thinking with the beat writer mock and and taking him in the first round. But if Duggar was not there, I'm telling you right now who I would have picked without a slight hesitation would have been Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State because to me that's another guy whose skill set 
is very conducive with Josh Allen. And when you watch him, he is good in so many different areas, but he also shows the potential for growth in all of those areas. And that's kind of a scary thing, especially with the fact that his quarterback was not all that great at Arizona State. I mean, he can he can do the deep ball. That's a part of him. But he's also shows some really damn good footwork. I like him against press. Um, he gets separation. He's got good enough size. Uh, and I'm really intrigued to see where he ranks on that BMI because he's not the typical 6'4 guy. I mean, Arizona State has him listed at six foot 201. I would wager that uh, he's probably going to come in at 5'11 and maybe a little bit uh, bigger, bulkier than that because he does look like a bigger player. But there's just so many different ways he wins on the field and the yards after catch and how he can keep plays alive. Uh, that's that's an area that the Bills were sorely missing last year as well. Part of that was Josh Allen induced, but another part was the fact that they had Isaiah McKenzie, Duke Williams, and Robert Foster lining up at Z receiver the majority of the year. So he's another guy that... I'm really keeping an eye on with them because I think he could come in and play that that role opposite John Brown and just just go. And the other one we brought up was Gandy Golden. Um, I had them taking him in the fifth round because a he was there and he was just sticking out, and b because he's kind of a a, a guy you can mold in more of the the John Brown role mold than say a Brian Edwards, even though he's big, he's more, he's better suited for, uh, that for John Brown's role and, you know, deep ball, uh, being as far away from the line of scrimmage, the X receiver role. Uh, I, I think that that would be a potential long-term, uh, project there, but with something that could be fruitful. And it just goes to show how deep this class is because if Gandy Colden is even available in the, in the fourth round, most years he's gone in the second or third round. That's how crazy this class is. If if you think people are being hyperbolic about uh, this receiver class being as good as it is, they are not. It, it, there are just legitimate prospects everywhere you look, and like a guy like Tyler Johnson, who has a completely high dominator score, is going to wind up going on day three which is wild to think about. And he he just racked it up at Minnesota. I mean, the separation isn't great, but he still made so many plays against good defenders in the Big Ten. That's just, that's just like Michael Pittman's another one of these, where it's like, all right, well, if you can't get Brian Edwards, is Michael Pittman going to be on the board? Most years, Pittman is gone by that point in the draft at 86th overall. So it's, it's, it's crazy how much talent is at receiver this year. Yeah, there's a lot of good players, and I think a lot of guys will start to – I think the combine's pretty important for some of the positions that the Bills are looking at. Um, yeah. Offensive tackle, um, you know, those drills are important to, you know, determine their quickness and, and things of that nature. Edge rushers, determining the athletic profile with things like the three cone drill, um, 10 and 20 yard splits in the 40 yard dash. Uh, certainly worth keeping an eye on and wide receiver. You know, we talked about body mass index, but there's also the, the 10 and 20 yard splits there, the short shuttle, uh, different drills that can really illuminate, um, you know, traits and, um, you know, different things that, that are worth paying a lot of attention to because just historically 
you're going to increase your chances of, of finding a good receiver if you pay attention to those benchmarks and some of the athletic traits. Now, sometimes you have to throw that to the wind. Like with Devin Singletary last year, he had a horrible combine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just a really good football player. So, you know, it's not the end-all be-all, but it can be a good hint. And it's what makes the week uh, pretty fun in terms of uh, seeing when, all, you know, it's usually later in the week when all that, uh, all the testing numbers start to trickle in. But it is a, a fun a fun time of year to start to piece together, you know, rankings and a board when you're, when you have all the information. Yeah. It might be one of those weeks and you brought up edge rusher, which is another great spot to think about here because depending on what they do in free agency, if they get a strong side linebacker and edge rusher combo hybrid guy, then it lessens that need for them. But if they do not address that in free agency, I think it would be, uh, very ideal for for everyone to keep a close eye on guys like uh, Zach Bond out of Wisconsin and how he tests as both a linebacker, how he moves, how fluid he is. Um, Josh Uche from Michigan, who actually looked really good on uh, in his games in how he was dropping back into coverage and turning and run, but he is a little bit of in a smaller frame. Terrell Lewis, the the edge from Alabama, who I think would be an ideal spot fit for that strong side linebacker slash pass rusher role. But it's also a time to keep an eye on some of these, you know, fringe, maybe not even fringe first rounders. These right now, mid to late first rounders that could wind up going well earlier than, than what everyone anticipated. Like Kalevon Chason from LSU, for instance, Um, he, I mean, when you if you watch the college football playoffs, the way he was getting off the line of scrimmage, it's like, wow, that guy's probably going to test really well. And if he tests as well as everyone thinks he will, uh, the odds of him being sitting there at 22, probably not great. So it's it's a good way to kind of gauge what the draft will be like at 22 based on how some of these guys are testing and it's more than just the 40 for defensive ends. It's the 10 yard split. It's, it's how they, the, the quickness of their feet. It's how they, it's how they move in and around the line of scrimmage. And, and if they are dropping back in the linebacker drills, it's how well they move in space to help them. And that's certainly a part of being a defensive end in Sean McDermott's system too, because we've seen ample times where Jerry Hughes or Trent Murphy or Shaq Lawson will drop back into coverage to cover up a zone as one of Tremaine Edmonds, the nickel corner, uh, Matt Milano, one of those guys are blitzing to give the offensive line a different look. So there's just so many different ways. And I'm so glad you brought up the foot quickness on the offensive line because that's one thing that Cody Ford really struggled with last year. And finding an offensive tackle um, that perhaps have the quick feet will help them in finding a long-term guy if he's available in the first or second round. So there's just so many different ways to go about it. And the one thing that pinged to me with this offensive tackle class was uh, the high-end talent that Dane Brugler was going on and on about, um, especially in his top 10 roundup, how there's about a good like five guys in that uh, that'll be available in that first round that could have some big-time potential uh, that would probably go a lot earlier most years. And that's probably one of those positions where there's a bit of a cliff after the top five, six, seven guys. Um, and that might be an area that makes the Bills go, all right, well, if we if we want to tackle that can play, 
it might have to be this year. So, so many different things to think about. And then you throw the defensive backs on top of it. Our heads are going to be spinning this week. Absolutely. And I look forward to every second of it. <laughs> As do I. I you know, you, you kind of sparked an idea. I, I think we, we might need to do a, a Mike Rodak uh, pod, especially now that he's covering Alabama. I mean, this is yeah, a lot of a lot of prospects he got that he got eyes on uh, this year, and it'll, yeah, we didn't. Uh, Mike did not make it to the Senior Bowl, but uh, this will be the first time we're all in one place since I know. since he moved. Uh, yeah, since my wedding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think. Um, Although, yeah. did you see him in Nashville? Tim and I. Saw I did him not. In Nashville. I did not. I did no. not get to. We didn't. We didn't link up. Um, but man, I mean that I'll tell you what, everywhere we go, uh, and we, we run into random people that listen to the pod. People will go, I'll tell you what, one of my favorite episodes, the Rodak one right before he left the beat. And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was just, it, it was, it was a great episode reminiscing everything like that. And, uh, I, I hope that, uh, Everyone remembers that that uh, show pretty fondly because it was a lot of fun taping that one with Harry Rodak uh, also contributing to the pod. Yeah, maybe we need uh, maybe we need to bring it back for a part two. Yeah, especially with all those Bama Bama prospects. I'm sure there's all a right. lot of people, like it or not, that are probably curious what he thinks of the Bills. They probably, even if his opinions of the Bills really piss them off, they're probably sitting there this year. I wonder what Rodak would be saying about this. Well, he pays attention. I can I can tell everybody that. Uh, That's for sure. He, <laughs> he is one of the more detail oriented humans that I know. So he's. Uh, I, I'm definitely sure that uh, he uh, is paying close attention to what the Bills have done and maybe what the Bills will be doing. All right, so we will be uh, hitting the road for Indianapolis on Monday. And then we'll get down there, and some of these interviews begin on Tuesday. That's when we'll talk to Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, and, of course, player interviews and uh, the all-important what goes on in the after hours of Indianapolis uh, and what details are learned league-wide, which I'm sure will come out fast and furious. Do you have a send-off today, Matthew Fairburn? I don't. I'm not prepared, and I've... Completely uh, dropped the ball, but I'll be ready for next week. I don't. I don't know if you will, but I have faith that you will. Uh, I continue to forget. It still has <laughs> okay. not become a habit. So <laughs> that's all right. Uh, all right. So for Matthew Fairburn, Sands send off. Uh, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you all for listening to the Buffalo Beat. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe uh, to The Athletic. And uh, by doing so, by using the, uh, the Buffalo Beats promo code, you can get 40% off your yearly subscription. All you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. Again, that's theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. So for Matthew Fairburn, I'm Joe Biscalia. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you from Indianapolis. See you then.